Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where supermodifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where supermodifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Welcome to this week's Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. This is episode 61, and leave it to an episode that uh, somewhat at least pays a nod to the rapid Roman Richie Evans, who always was a source of excitement. Leave it to his episode to generate the kind of excitement that we are now about to talk about we have had, we're taping this show on Sunday morning, and I will later on um, in the program, I will explain why it ended up being Sunday morning, um, but somehow I think this was a little bit of divine providence because um, the fact that it had to be delayed until Sunday morning means that we get breaking news of the sort never, ever released from the Oswego Speedway and the 70-year history of the track to talk about, and we've got just the man to help us do that. Camden Proud has joined us for our opening segment this week. Everybody knows Cam, the 2019 Supermodified Rookie of the Year, the uh, PR director for the Oswego Speedway, and um, all-around uh, beacon of light and passion for Supermodified Racing. Um, Camden, I am, I, we talked about you and I, uh, a month or so ago when it started to look like, uh, the, the classic may not happen this year. We talked about, well, why can't we just have two classics next year? I really thought it would have been cool to open the year with the classic and close the year with a classic because, I mean, this 2020 has been um, basically the year of theater absurdo, and what better way to sort of respond to that in 2021 by doing something that's never been done? Well, it didn't seem like that was going to happen, or at least I never heard that it was going to happen. And, and apparently, for the first time in your entire life, Camden, you've actually started to become really good at keeping secrets because even you and I didn't discuss this until the bombshell hit this morning that, in fact, we will have two classics next year, the 64th annual on Memorial Day weekend, perfect placement for it, and the 65th annual where it belongs on Labor Day weekend, Holy cow, man. Double trouble. Two classics in 2021. This has got to excite you on two levels. One, as a fan of the Oswego Speedway and Supermodified Racing. But two, as a driver, man, you get to race the classic twice. Absolutely. I'm I'm so excited. Happy Sunday to everyone. I, I figured I'd keep everyone in suspense this week. And we'd, we'd sneak this announcement out on a Sunday afternoon. So We'll kill you uh, later. <laughs> yeah, we're just, we're so excited. We've, uh, 
you know, it's it's been in discussion since this year's Classic was canceled back in August, and, and John and Eric have been uh, holding some meetings with Chuck Hanley, Craig Terrell, the staff, and, uh, you know, really just trying to figure out a way to make up uh, for this lost season and, and give the fans and the team something to look forward to. And, and they're doing just that with two Classic weekends for the first time in history. We couldn't be any more excited. Well, I have to be honest, my and of course, I mean, we're taping this. It's it's quarter to one on Sunday afternoon for those of you just wondering. Um, and, I, and I bring that up to say that this news just dropped like 10 minutes ago or whatever. Um, so, you know, no, none of us, including me, have had a lot of time to think about this. But, you know, my first thought here is that I can remember as a kid, um, you know, we used to have super slash modified double headers twice uh, or uh, sorry, four times Let's see. Four, yeah, four times during the year we would have it Memorial Day weekend, um, July 1st, and then sometimes um, August 1st, and then Classic. So three to four times. But I always felt like the two big events always seemed like Port City and Classic Weekend. So Memorial Weekend, Labor Day weekend. Um, and, and so for me now, this feels just so indelibly right because Memorial Weekend, if you think about the sport as a whole, Cam, Memorial Weekend is really – um the the official start of the the racing season in a lot of ways because of course you know you always have the Indy 500 you you've had the Monaco Grand Prix of course that's getting moved next year but you had in Indy at Monaco you had the the 600 at Charlotte for the NASCAR stuff and all of the local tracks um and especially the ones up north because it's now the end of May, this is usually their first big race of the year, and sometimes it's their first race of the year. So um, this feels perfect to be doing, you know, the Makeup Classic on Memorial Weekend and the, uh, the, the, the current year Classic as scheduled on Labor Day weekend. Um, I mean, it's really an interesting schedule because you've got a, a couple of races that will precede it to give the guys a chance to, um, you know, obviously get some race time in. Um, Then you all have a week off before the Classic, but lots of testing, Fast Friday-type testing mixed in from the 1st of May forward. Um, So this really feels like um, May is – it's almost like, for me, this almost starts to take on a month of May feel like an Indy because, really, um, let's be real here. I mean, you're going to start points racing early in May, but – Everything in May is going to be geared toward being, you know, locked and loaded and ready for the International Classic on Memorial Day weekend. I still can't believe I just said that. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's the the suspense building up to the Classic. And that's actually what we were kind of going with was, you know, the the place to be in in May 2021. So, um, yeah, opening on May 1st with practice and two points events on May 8th and May 15th. Uh, regular distance for the Supers, SBS, and 350s. A week off on May 22nd, a whole lot of testing, and, and then it'll be Classic Weekend 64. So uh, just um, very, very, very excited for our teams and, and our fans and looking forward to getting the season started early, kind of like we used to, you know, five, ten years ago. We opened up at the beginning of May, and I'm really, really looking forward to doing that again, starting the season a few weeks earlier. Well, you know, it it is interesting because you never know what you're going to get anymore in May. And, and of course, that was probably always true. But I think as an adult, uh, you know, I've just I've just realized it more as a kid. You pay less attention. But, you know, you never know weather wise what you're going to get in May. And and so, like, I remember coming up, 
gosh, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago, I, I lose track, but uh, th- there was one year I came up for the opener, and it was 86 degrees, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, you know, like, it, what is wrong here? I can remember driving into into the city of Oswego and getting off 481, and I got the windows wide open, and I got out of the car in front of my mom's place, and, and, and it was just like, where in the world am I? This is not right. Um, and yet, of, of course, other years, it could be, you know, 51 or 56, and, and so you never know what you're going to get, so I know it's hard to you know to to try to schedule stuff but you know what it's really that way any any time right you it may it may get warmer as the summer goes on but the chance of rain doesn't necessarily decrease so you know you just sort of go with it i feel like you take advantage of of you know all the time that you get anymore and i love this idea and i'm and i know i know we're not going to get two classics a year every year um but but maybe this can start to be something where maybe they're they're you know, there's a big Memorial Day weekend deal that that we can do every year somehow that, you know, still lets us kind of keep this wind up um, effect going, because uh, I do think it's very cool and it, and it fits the the open wheel motif since the Supers have always been considered to be sort of the um, short track indie car, more or less, and, and probably more so now than ever. Um, so this is great. So let's talk about the schedule, because the first thing I did notice is that um, it's it's not your typical classic weekend because uh, it's only a two day weekend instead of a three day weekend, which I think is a great idea. Uh, obviously, we don't have a modified race that weekend, so um, you go with a Friday-Saturday kind of deal. Talk about the schedule, and let's do one day at a time here so we can discuss them. Sure. Uh, we'll start with Thursday, which is just an open practice session from 5 to 9. Okay. And on Friday, that'll be pole day again like it usually is, so time trials for the Supers, SBS, 350s, practice all day. And the regular divisions, our Swiggo weekly divisions, will move out of the pits by 5 p.m. We'll bring in the Sunoco New York Super Stock Series, and they're going to have a 50-lap event. So that'll kind of be the big race for Friday night. We might bring in another division, uh, whether it's NEMA, TQs, probably something to that effect. It could be the the sport mod division it could be the four cylinders that we were going to bring it out from the midwest i was going to say sure on that. that would be an interesting uh, i was thinking when you said that i was thinking about the midwest compact series because i have a feeling you get a ton of those cars and i think it would make that night a, a, a really unique night yes for sure yeah we're definitely looking into that and and i hope we'll be able to have them next year we were looking forward to having those guys uh, classic weekend this year it was looking like 50 cars for for oh, the midwest yeah. compact so that, that would be pretty neat to see yeah i think uh I, I think you'd get that either weekend uh that you had those guys there's plenty of them around and they were all really excited i talked to a few of them when i was out at uh irp in march for the super modified race there and uh they were real excited to come to oswego so um yeah that would be an interesting deal so wait a minute so now you're telling me that all the qualifying is going to take place during the day on friday this year for that race i think the time trials will start around four o'clock somewhere in there interesting and then be done by five so it'll be a little bit earlier um, not I like that. See, is. I like that because it gives the super stock. It gives more time for that show, so it's not 
you know, midnight or after before we're done with it. And it, and it lets them be the feature division, which I think is absolutely cool. Um, yes, know, that'll, yep. that'll be a super. We're going to, I'm sure Jody London right now is doing backflips uh, <laughs> across his front lawn um, because, you know, that this is really perfect for, for him for that event. Um, now, uh, okay, so that's Friday night. So uh, then Saturday, uh, walk us through what Saturday looks like right now. Saturday will be a later start, an afternoon start with practice, which I am just thrilled about that. I told Chuck Hanley I won't miss having to listen to him at 7.30 in the morning on last <laughs> weekend. So uh, <laughs> happy about that. So we'll start in the afternoon with practice and the, the consolation events and then jump right into the features uh, with the third annual JNS Paving 350 Super Modified Classic, the 29th annual Pathfinder Bank SBS Classic, and then the 64th annual Super Modified International Classic 200 will get the green flag at 7 p.m. So classic under the lights on Memorial Day weekend and the traditional classic on Labor Day weekend. Yeah, see, now that was the other thing I wanted to bring up because I, I've, you know, it's funny because I grew up obviously with classic being a night show. And then I, I don't even remember exactly what year it was when it changed. If you, if you want me to be honest, it was somewhere in the 80s, I think. And um it, it, that it that it swapped over to an afternoon show, and I I really have always loved daytime shows. I think it just makes it makes for a different kind of a race during the day than what you get at night, um, and and it also just has a different feel to it. And so, but but for this situation, I love the nighttime show. If we're going to do the classic twice, I love that one of them's at night, one of them's during the day. Um, I also love the fact that on Memorial Weekend, I mean, let's be real here. We all, I mean, we, we'd all trade whatever for, for a super modified race on Sunday if that's what was going to happen, certainly especially for a classic. But, you know, everybody loves to watch the Indy 500. And, um, you know, so this really makes for a great weekend for open wheel fans because you can come to a Swiggo and, and catch the classic and then, you know, on Sunday, you're either hanging around watching Indy or maybe you're on the road and you're, you know, you listen to it or whatever. But you, you it, it's still, you know, and it also leaves Sunday. And to me, this is really important. It leaves Sunday in case you need it for weather or, you know, whatever. Um, you've got that extra day if you need to uh, to do that. I love the schedule. Now, um, obviously, we've had um, – you know the last couple of classic weekends we've had the the, the wheel and modified tour that's not um, not going to be a part of this makeup weekend at least so thus again um, more flexibility in in the weekend schedule to uh, kind of condense everything to two days which I think is really cool that's that's awesome um, as a driver cam um, you know, this is this is going to be a first. Obviously, I mean, you, yes, there's there's big races during the year. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've had anything over a hundred laps um, during the regular season at Oswego in forever. Um, so this is obviously a much bigger race. What's how does this? How does this play for you as a driver in terms of, you know, the month of May and kind of preparing? And, I mean, does it put more pressure on, on you and, and the team to, you know, to, to have things together sooner? Or, um, I mean, what what how do you think this is going to play out for you from the racer's standpoint? It'll be interesting, to say the least. I mean, you said it. It's been a long time, if ever, that we've seen uh, an event during the season of, of that length. 
Um, you know, the Port City 100, obviously, it's, it's been quite some time since that's been run. Yeah, and, that uh, was a 125 for a year or two in the 90s, I think, which I never liked. But that, I think it was, yeah. But I don't think there's, yep. yeah, I don't think there's been anything for the last five, six, eight years, ten years longer than 100 laps during the year. No, I don't think so. I think it's been since the, the Port City was 125. If, you know, anybody listening can correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but I believe that is correct. Uh, so for a driver, I think... Uh, we're we're happy that there's two races before the classic. We're happy that there's a lot of practice time because, um, you know, teams haven't been able to do anything really uh, with this new wicker uh, and race trim or anything like that uh, this entire year. Well, that's so true. Yeah, that that these, was a rule uh, change we didn't really focus much on. Even you and I on the show during the season, but. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. So that that gives more time to to get some race time with that too. It does, yeah. So those those two races uh, are very crucial, kind of just uh, almost warm-up races in a way as, as we go and, and look towards the Classic, yes. but they, they also count towards the season championship. So uh, we're starting early. We're going to have to be on our toes. I'm glad that they're allowing for some uh, kind of late testing this year. It's It's been quite some time since we've had super modifieds on the track in October at Oswego, and we're going to have another practice this week. So uh, oh, yeah, looking forward right. to it taking part October. in that. October, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Do the heaters in the grant? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but because uh, I can remember many a night in October using those. Um, but that's uh, okay. So yeah, that's going to be different. Now let's talk about the wicker for a minute. Because I mean, what what do you anticipate? I, I know you. You know, you haven't had obviously a lot of time with it, but what are you hearing? What do you anticipate is going to be the difference with this wicker versus uh, what we had last year in terms of race? I don't know, really. We'll, we'll see what happens in, in race trim. Like I said, in, in practice, it's hard to tell. Uh, I went out and we had some fuel pickup issues and the car just wasn't that great. Right. So I haven't really gotten to see what it's going to do yet. Um, I do think we're going to be slowed down a little bit. Um, I think you're going to kind of want to, um, look into possibly moving the wing back for more grip. That's something we were talking about okay. uh, just to get more grip coming out of the corners. I do think it's going to loosen the cars up, slow them down a Good. little bit. Good. Um, so it'll, you know, maybe put it in the driver's hands a little bit more. Good. Um, yeah, so really I, good. I like that. I think 16-0, will be a very, very good time next year. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'm, I'm happy with the change. I just, you know, I hope now we, we've got a good package here that we're going to build on. we got cars coming back, a lot of interest, and uh, just leave the rules where they are, and we'll move forward with what should be a great season. Well, two classics, this is going to hurt, the car count. And, and, and honestly, I love it because I think it might light a fire under some people's backsides that normally necessarily wouldn't be, you know, um, that, you know, that, that so many, I mean, and I'm probably going to, you know, get some hate mail here, but that's okay. Um, I mean, I've been, you know, I've been going since 73 and I, and I see so many times when so many people, um, you know, with their last minute Joe's, you know, let's start working on the car in March, you know, um, and you always have your few, like your Jimmy Champagne's, your Otto Sitterleys, drivers like that, that, you know, season's over and they're on the next year. I mean, and you can tell because the ones who have the strongest opening um, performances in the first few weeks of the year are the ones that have been, you know, taking this all um, seriously and, and really have their cars ready. I feel like maybe this might induce some cars that – 
um, normally maybe wouldn't care so much about being ready on opening day or uh, maybe some cars from out of town that maybe wouldn't necessarily come in and, and run any regular shows that may want to come in and take a shot at the Classic uh, on Memorial Weekend. You know, it'll be interesting to see how this sort of changes um, what goes on at Oswego in May next year, but I definitely think that, um, boy, for super modified fans, you just that there, there's not much that uh, Santa Claus is going to bring on Christmas. Let's put it that way. That's going to be any more exciting than the news you just you, you that Oswego uh, just delivered. Because, um, I mean, it's it, for the 70th anniversary season. How could you have had a better script written than for the first time ever? We're doing a classic double. It, it really it worked out perfect. Uh, this year was was very difficult, but um, I won't call it a blessing in disguise. But the way this all worked out for next year played into our hands pretty perfectly, and and uh, just just so psyched for everybody involved. Uh, you mentioned some some teams coming in for the opening two events, and I did want to mention that uh, John and Eric made sure we we coordinated all this with with Isma and MSS, so they're well aware of what's going on and and planning to leave that weekend open. So we expect a big car count for, for both classics. And then also in the month of May, there's going to be a lot of guys. I think that we wouldn't normally see that want to get a tune up on their equipment. So it's going to be a, a big, big month. I mean, nonstop testing, nonstop racing and, and then the classic. So, Get your livers ready, folks. It's going to be fun. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, I, I'm I'm super super excited uh, to, uh, to to see this and and to hear about this and and uh, going to do my best, obviously, to be able to make sure that I can uh, be there for uh, for Memorial Weekend next year. Um, while while we have you, though, we've got about uh, ten minutes, maybe, that we can keep you because I know you've got uh, other things going today. I uh, wanted two things. One, put your Isma hat on for a minute because uh, another bombshell that none of us were expecting announcement came out uh, end of toward the end of the week, and that is that um, the super modified portion of the Thompson World Series, which was taken off the schedule uh, about three weeks ago or so, thanks to a huge turnout four-star Speedways Classic, it's back on the schedule. So the Supers are back racing Thompson again. Talk about that. Yes, uh, that was a big surprise, too. I I just found out, actually, on on Friday, the day we announced it. And, um, you know, happy for the ISMA teams and, and everybody that now gets a chance to run another super modified race, see another super modified race in this crazy year. Um, actually, you know, I think it was a combination of the car count at star. And then also, I think they're up in the capacity restrictions in Connecticut that weekend. Okay. too. So they, they feel as though it'll be, you know, beneficial to have ISMA back on. There's, there's a little more leeway there with how many people they can have in the grandstands, That's obviously. Awesome. So um just really glad we all get to go super racing one more time in 2020 yes so again all you super teams go to thompson go support this event they get they're giving you an opportunity go support it um that's awesome so we get one more super modified opportunity by the way uh we are planning to uh do our best to have a feature interview with john mckennedy on next week's inside groove we have uh audio thank you camden uh for from the podium for uh this this show today so uh, that'll be later on in this program. And the next week, we're going to try to get John. Um, and I have another featured guest lined up as well. Um, and uh, so next week's show is already kind of locked and loaded. And um, we'll 
uh, continue talking more about classic uh, 64 and 65 with Cam next week. Uh, but I want to uh, switch the focus real quick to uh, testing. We had a, a really interesting Fast Friday session this past week in more ways than one, Cam. Um, lots of fast times in both in the Supers and um, in the SBS Division 350 division as well. Yes, Fast Friday was, was certainly fast this week. It was certainly running a, a 14.9 with uh, the Bodner car, and uh, he had a new Wayne on there that was Allison's Wayne from Star, and it was her practice tires and her race tires from the Star Classic, and oh. he went and clocked off a couple 14.9s. So, you know, of course, I'm on the tower you know, cheering like a little kid, yelling to the coach, put tires on it, put tires on it. You know, I think he would have shattered the record. But, uh, well, it no, wouldn't have been official, though. No, but, I, you know, I just wanted to see. Oh, I know. Well, that's pretty That's pretty amazing to think. Yeah, that, it was. Uh, you know, at that, in that situation to run 49, especially, I mean, Otto did a good job in the Star Classic, and we'll get, uh, I'll talk more about that later. Um, and you and I can break it down in detail even next week. But it's, uh, it, he did a really nice job in that race. I think they're finally getting a handle on that car. Uh, but for him to go out and crank that kind of a lap, um, you know, again, that's the kind of thing that the fans, you know, we, we, we all need that right now, right? Because there's not much, there's no racing in this window. So those moments are kind of like, you know, there's our 2020 moment right there. Holy cow, 14.9. That is fast, especially, um, you know, on, on uh, a set of older tires. It is, yeah, 14.730, the record. And uh, it would have been a perfect night to break it. It's it's too bad it wouldn't have been official. But I, I think it'll be in jeopardy next year when we have Isma back. So, uh that was cool to see. A lot of other guys got fast as well. Todd stole down to a 16-275 with the 89. That was the second fastest yeah. lap of the season. So good for Todd. I'm, I'm happy to see them back and running well. Uh, Eric Iosu as well, getting a better handle on John Colopo's 41 with a 16-588. And Craig Harris, how about him having him back? Yeah, well, again, Mike Barbera, um, blast from the past, uh, you know, <laughs> coming back with a, a – well, not a brand new car, but new to him, 350 car, um, and uh, putting Craig Harris in it as he had with his super modified before, and uh, Craig went right out and looked like, uh, I mean, uh, looked like he'd never left the Swiggo. He picked right up where he left off and ran some really fast laps. He did a great job, adjusted really well, got down to a 17-1, uh, second fastest lap of the season out of all the 350s that have practiced, so... Um, Good driver, versatile driver. He spent some time in the Modifieds, former SBS track champion. Great family, great guy. Uh, happy to have them back. And, uh, you sure. know, there's no doubt he's going to be a contender next year. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a great addition. Again, we, we you know, seeing the growth of that 350 class, uh, you know, it's one car at a time, really. But the enthusiasm for it, um, you know, and seeing our guys go to star a few times and, and all of that, um, you know, I think next year is going to be big for that division. Uh, walk us through the rest of the uh, the guys testing because we had uh, some more news or at least a couple of more firsts uh, in cars at the Speedway. Yeah, uh, I want to give Griffin Miller a nod, too. He ran an 18-8-2-3. Sure. And uh, that was the fastest lap of the season for the SBS in testing, too. And, again, I mean, I don't think an SBS rookie um, has ever got into the 18-second bracket that quickly. Uh, very, very, very impressive. He can That's just awesome. flat-out wheel. So uh, looking forward to seeing what he's going to do next year. 
Um, also out was Callie Spaulding, Jason Spaulding's daughter with the former Jake's Auto 23 that Jason ran at Oswego and most recently on Isma, and she loved it. Uh, she's a little That's apprehensive awesome. at first, but uh, ended up opening the throttle up towards the end of the session. Uh, was running in the mid-19s. It's, it's quite a jump from go-karts to quarter midgets, and she ran a nice line and was smooth, and, and you know, some people will focus on the time, but I think really for her first time she did just fine and, well, and looking forward to, to seeing what she does next year. I'm happy she liked it. Now, you said go-karts to quarter midgets. You meant go-karts to super modifieds, right? Well, go-karts to quarter midgets to super modifieds, okay. yeah. Okay, yeah. go-karts. <laughs> oh, she did run quarters. Okay. So, yeah, so, she okay. ran both. Yeah, well, you would know, right, about going straight from, of course, you went to an SBS first, but, um, I mean, you can relate uh, to, to the kind of a, a, a jump that she's actually making, but you know, it's funny to think about, you know, now, of course, you think, well, 19.5 is not that impressive when I first started going to the track in the 70s. And again, I know it was 40 years ago, but hang on. I'm trying to make a point here. 19.5 was the time that you needed to run to, quote, unquote, turn time. And this is something that, um, you know, none of the, 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 the modern fans ever got to see this. But back in that day, um on the scoreboard, when a driver, quote-unquote, turned time, the number would go up on the board, and you had to run that minimum speed in order to get handicapped the way that you should for your your uh, heat race. And if you didn't run that speed, they put you to the back. And so it was kind of a big deal to turn time. Um, and, you know, and so she she basically, I mean, I don't know her exact time, but she basically probably either turn time or she came close um and and you know you look at it and being her first time in the car if she can progress um at a at a decent pace in her next couple of times and get some good testing then you know obviously when you get to race trim it's always a different deal because you have to learn how to race wheel to wheel and your kind of spatial judgment for where you are with the, next to the other car how close you are whatever but um you know, it sounds like she did very respectably, and the fact that she loved it is good because that would tell me, as a driver who works with other racers, um, that would tell me that if she loved it that much, she's probably, you know, going to not be afraid to go faster as she gets more comfortable. So I love seeing that. That's a neat deal for Kelly, and and. Uh, I mean, is it the intent that she's going to race next year? Is that what you're hearing, or was this just kind of a one-time thing, or what's the status there? Yep, that's the plan. I think Jason just wants her to practice a little bit more to start sure. next year, get up to speed a little bit further, and and then, yeah, she's planning to race. And, and uh, you know, it's just <laughs> Kyle Perry. I was with him last night. He says, what are they going to do with the, with the rookie role in the 350s next year? Are they going to start the whole field in the back? You know, I said, I don't know what to tell you, Kyle. It's, you know, it's, it's it's pretty cool that all this new blood coming in and the SBS and and the three fifties as well. We're going to have 10 rookies in the the SBS, another five or six, maybe more than that in the three fifties. So what a year to look forward to, man. I mean, the suspense already just now in September is, is as big as it's ever been. And just so much going on, a lot to keep track of. Well, you know, it's uh, you're right. I mean, it, it, when you think about it, um, I mean, shoot, in the uh, SBS class, the rookies could run their own heat race. <laughs> you know, I know. Um, but uh, that, no, it's great. And, and, and to see, I hope Kelly starts the season and is able to, to run. I mean, that you know, again, that's the biggest thing is, you know, we need to we need to have that that 
you know, two or three super modified rookies every year to kind of keep the new blood coming in. Um, and, uh, you know, that's been the problem for the last number of years. But we've got enough now in the SBS and the 350s that hopefully as time goes, um, some of that will be able to find its way up to the big block class. Uh, but you're right. What a what a year to look forward to. I mean, you know, for as much testing as a lot of these people have had. And, and again, we talked about a, a, a team like uh, the Iosu Coloca team that, that here's a brand new car they're bringing out. They can't race it, um, but they can test the heck out of it and try to get it dialed in so that when he runs his first race, the car will be far more competitive and, and they've gotten it down to 16.5. So, you know, that pretty much um, that pretty much puts him in, in the ballpark, right? So he'll come out right, next yeah. year, you know, up to speed and ready to rock. Um, you know, and, 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 and even if he gets to test again this week or whatever. So um, all good, man. That's uh, it. There, there is a lot to look forward to in 2021. You know, I just hope we, you know, we get all this crap out of the way so we can get back to racing, you know, because, uh, I mean, if, if, if we were bumming this year, oh my gosh, I mean, I don't even want to think about what would happen if next May, you know, after all this being scheduled and everything, um, you know, uh, have to have a March on Albany. Um, but, (laughs) I can't uh, think about it. I I know. Um, but, uh, no, definitely a lot to look forward to and uh, obviously excited. Uh, oh, also want to mention. And the testing, uh, and I don't know, maybe there were others that you haven't talked about yet, but I know Greg Richardson made his debut. Yes. Um, Greg uh, and Ken Moody made a deal. Ken acquired Greg's quarter, uh, sorry, not quarter midget, TQ midget, and uh, Greg acquired the uh, 01 SBS car and actually ran some decent times. He did, yeah. He looked smooth. Uh, Twenty point five, which for you know his first time in a full size exactly. race car, I, that's respectable. It I thought he did good. Yep. Uh, so I think something might be in the works for for Ken next year. He he yeah, hinted he at it. We'll see what happens yeah. there. Um, but I hope he keeps the the Hevron O one. I don't want Greg to get rid of that, and I don't think he's going to. So that's good news for all the Hevron fans. Yes. Fans. Well, it's just a beautiful, those cars are yeah, always beautiful. And Doug had them, and it's just a beautiful scheme. It looks good on the track. So, yeah, very nice. Uh, uh, anybody we missed in the testing? Uh, we had Steve Flack testing and, and Derek Hilton. They were both in the mid-22nd range. Okay. And Steve and is sharing time with Danny Kay next year in the 23. Correct. And uh, Hilton is one of the new rookies, Yes. Hilton's one of the rookies, yeah. yep, in the former Josh Kirk car, the 66. Okay. So, yeah, so uh, that's good to see those two get out. <clears throat> Steve's first time, I think, this year, wasn't it, able to, to test final? Yeah, Dan tested way early this year, and that was Steve's first time out. So I was happy yeah. to see him back in the car. Well, uh, a good, healthy test session, very eventful and very newsworthy this past Friday. A lot of uh, fast times on a fast Friday um, and excited about uh, everything that came out of that. And, of course, this big news today, Classic 64 Memorial Day weekend in 2021. Certainly something to start making your plans for now and get excited about. Um, and we hope that uh, we can have a nice, healthy weekend that, that weekend and everybody turns out in force and supports all the events, including the Superstock race. 
race because uh, Jody works really, really, really hard to put that together. And uh, being the featured division that night is awesome. Camden, I know you got to run. Uh, I think we've about used up all your time here. So we appreciate you uh, dropping by and talking to us. And we'll obviously have more with you next week. We'll talk more in depth about Star and look ahead to Thompson and, of course, wrap up uh, Fast Friday as well. Um, and uh, in the meantime, um, again, uh, thanks for being the portal to uh, an early Christmas for those of us uh, <laughs> supermodified addicts. That's some great news. Two classics next year. That's Camden Proud. We're going to step aside when we come back. We continue with the groove. We've got classic Rewind 1995. We'll talk about Star. We've got some audio from the podium from there that Cam got us. Um, so more of the show as we continue. Sit back. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. Beware of telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you. Call is threatening you with arrest or other legal action and demanding money are not from us. If you receive a call like this, Hang up, do not provide them with any form of payment or information. Report the call at oig.ssa.gov. Welcome back to Inside Groove, episode 61 this uh, week already. Uh, The Rapid Roman Richie Evans episode, we're going to call it just because, well... I know that he never actually raced a supermodified numbered 61 at the Oswego Speedway, but somebody did. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment, but uh, let's face facts here. <laughs> Richie Evans is a legend in the Modifieds. The Modifieds a huge part of the Oswego Speedway, and I'm not sure anybody, uh, you know, even Bentley Warren, who ran the 61, uh, and Doug Haveron for a year, Bentley uh, after that for Mike Mazur, I'm not sure even uh, – they, with all of their accomplishments, feature wins and Bentley's classic wins and championships or whatever, uh, I'm not sure that honestly, when I think of Oswego and I think of 61, um, with all due respect to those other legends that we just mentioned, it's uh, Richie Evans' number. Um, but anyway, uh, and it's going to be obviously necessary here to do a little bit of jumping about in time for the rest of this episode because... We were just talking about uh, classic double. I wanted to hit foreigners double vision to start this episode uh, because that's basically what we're going to see next year. You're not seeing things. There are going to be two classics in a swiggo. Um, if, uh, if you just randomly clicked into this segment, didn't listen to the first one, uh, please go back. Stop right now. Go back and listen to the first one because you'll get all the details about that. Two classics in uh, 2021 at the Oswego Speedway for the first time ever. What a way to celebrate your 70th birthday, uh, the 70th birthday of the Oswego Speedway. Um, now we're going to go back in time to 1995, which is exactly 25 years back in time. Again, we've been, if you've missed the last few episodes, again, please go back and listen <laughs> and share them so that your friends can listen too. But uh, we've, we started with 1975 back a few episodes ago, and we're going in five year increments. Um, and we've, um, we've arrived at 1995 now. And when I think about the mid 90s at Oswego, Mike Muldoon, Doug Didero. That's really what I think about. They, 
I feel like they owned that era. They owned uh, most all of the 90s, but certainly the the mid-90s were were their era. The, the rise of Mike Muldoon, now Mike started in 1982 and had the old Eddie Bellinger car, learned his craft very well. You could see early on in his career he would occasionally venture and drive for other people. Um, you know, he he would run Paul Castilla's Orange 17, for those of you who are fans back in the time period when he did that, you know that, man, he he took that car and just drove the wheels off it. Um, it, it was it, it really was obvious at that point that, that he could drive anything that you gave him that was competitive. He'd put it up front. Um, he ran that car a few times. He ran, uh, of course, for um, the 10 car for Joe McGarry. He ran for... Uh, gosh, was it Billy Donovan? No. Uh, gosh, I'm, I'm, I feel bad now because he just passed away not a long time ago. But uh, the Donovan car 80, uh, he ran for a bit. He ran uh, Jim Rogers' car, I think the five car for a year or so, or maybe part of a year. I'm not sure. Um, can't quite remember. But he drove enough other cars for other people for us to, I think, look at his body of work. And the consistency and the speed that he had across all of that, Mike was definitely going to be a very, very, very good racer. Well, as we got into the 90s, he went back to building his own cars and copy of uh, basically building. He started with a copy of a Graves car, and I'm quite sure that it had several of his own wrinkles on it, you know, things that he wanted to do uh that were different from what the Graves cars were. And by 1995, he had a pair of cars. The first car that he had built was numbered 80. That had been relegated to backup status. He was now driving a number 50 that was the newer of the two cars. And it was a rocket. It was, it was a very, very fast race car. Doug Didero had driven for Skip Matzik, and then Doug, a little bit later, came back and built two cars that I believe were kind of the unofficial start of what was to become the Arrow era of Supers. They they ran tail uh, nose wings on them, and Doug had been down south and had had a taste of Indy, had had a taste of NASCAR. He he understood aerodynamics and and was able to build a a beautiful, just beautiful looking super uh, red number three, and that era was Didero versus Muldoon. And these were two drivers who were extremely talented. Um, I think their driving styles were distinctly different, but they were two extremely talented racers. And they just put on some tremendous battles in that period of time. When we got to the Classic, and I was looking through 
uh, we'll talk about the the time trials in a moment. I was looking through this list of of uh, those who took time. There are actually a few guys or a few cars that I can't quite remember from back then. Um, but again, this was an all-star cast. We were still very much in the era where you still had a lot of the veterans from, you know, 70s, 80s into the 90s, but we also had were seeing the emergence of, of a lot of younger talent in the division as well. Uh, time trials in 1995. Now, again, uh, we had a new track record set that year, and, and I didn't remember this either until I researched it. And a new track record set that year. Now, uh, a storyline inside of the storyline here. Those of you who go back a ways will remember that it was in 1994 when the... Dunnigan Group had built a couple of new cars and Bentley Warren was still running for Paul and Mike Ordway was running for Paul and there came a race midway or so through the year where there was some post-race issues at the scales with one of the cars and it was disqualified. One uh, was Bentley's car, I believe, was disqualified for being. Um, I think it was a left side weight issue. They were slightly off on the left side weight, and uh, Bentley and the team wanted to run the the car over the scale. You know, turn the car around, run over scale the other way, and do the math. Um, track officials didn't want to. Um, you know, it was hot. Words got exchanged. Um, somebody said you're out and, and team Dunnigan went okay, but if we're out, we're really out. So they didn't run without a wing for the rest of the year. The Swiggo came back for the classic, uh, for classic weekend that year for the Isma show only Bentley walked the dog and won the race. And then they left. They didn't run the classic. So then came 1995. Bentley was not driving for Paul at that point. Um, Russ Wood and Mike Ordway were both driving for, for Dunnigan, and Bentley was actually in Mike Muldoon's 80 car, the backup car, the original uh, car that Muldoon had built a couple of years earlier. And Dunnigan had come back to the racetrack and it had decided to run the weekend, and Russ Wood went out and um, knocked out a a 16.755 to break the track record that year in the 29 car that Bentley had vacated. Um, So Russ sat pole for the classic. Second quick was Muldoon in the 50. He started outside of the front row, 16.773. Third quick was Dave McKnight in the Moochie 98, 17.092. Sorry, 16.858. Um, 16.992 for Danny Sewell. Nope, sorry, read, read, read that wrong again. 16.885, lap two was faster. So, um, and then in fifth uh, was Didero with a 16.903. Now, it, this is what's interesting to me. Um, if you look at the, the rest of the top uh, 24 time trialers, sixth uh, fastest qualifier was 
Ordway in the second Dunnigan car, 16913. Seventh was Pat Abold, 16991. Eighth quick was Howie Page with a 17114. So we had a two tenths of a second gap between seventh and eighth. And then. Uh, ninth quick was Bentley in the 80, 17154. Tenth quick was Steve Joya in his nine car, 17206. Eleventh quick was Gary Albritton, 17225. Gary was driving the Ed Shea 27, oh, by the way, that year. Twelfth quick was uh, Joe Gozik in the double zero at 17248. Now, Again, interesting side note here. I went back um, because I'm looking at the 50 Years of Classic book, and the appendix is the all-time classic time trials. So I was, I kind of glanced off and looked at Gozik's time for the couple of years around that 1995 year. And it, what's interesting to me is that Joe Gozik did not have a good 1990s for the most part when it came to time trialing. If you start with his 1990 time, he was 10th quick. 1991, Joe was, uh, let's see, where do I have him here? Joe did set pole in 91. In 92, he was third quick. In 93, he was ninth quick. Okay, so he had a good first few years. But then let's look what happens here. In 94, he was 16th quick. 95, he was 12th. 96, he was 18th. 97, he was 16th. In 98, Gozik was, he didn't even qualify through time trials. Um, 1999, he was 16th quick. Um, And... Let's hit 2,000 here and see. He goes up to fourth quick, but he was driving for Dunnigan that year. So he had basically from 90 to 93, not so bad, but from 94 through 99 was a a really challenging time for Gozig in terms of time trials. Not that it necessarily matters where you start, but again, you, you think about Joe's history and the fact that you know, he's, he, he's considered to be, obviously, right now, he's the longest he's the longest running driver um, of anybody at the track starting in 1980. And uh, it's, it just surprised me a little bit that uh, he struggled in qualifying for all of those years. In the 2000s, he started running for some other car owners, and that, you know, that helped him a little bit, I think. But uh, just it, just interesting to to note that here as we talk about the year 1995. Joe, 12th quickest. Um, and then, you know, we can uh, go down to the rest of the list real quick. Cliff Graves, 13th. Uh, 14th quick was Gene Lee Gibson. 15th quick was Rebel Jackson out of California in the uh, 88 car. Uh, that was the year that um, the West Coasters came in and, and had a little fun. Um, 16th quick was Eddie Bellinger in the 02. Again, a very uh, uh, off year for qualifying for Eddie. Uh, 17th quick was Jeff West in the 01. 18th quick was Chris Purley uh, driving the number 19, which I 
think was just the Vic Miller car renumbered. 19th on the list, Jamie Moore in the 44. 20th quick was Billy Sharkey in the 52. Good for him to make it through time. Charles, 21st quick. Todd Stoll in the 89. 22nd quick, Gary Morton in the Ralph McLaughlin 48. 23rd quick was uh, Dave Schillick. And this was one of those, I said there were a couple of cars. I don't, Dave Schillick was driving a number 72, and I don't remember what car that was. So maybe somebody can can fill me in. I almost want to say, because Jim Shirey was in uh, a 49 car that year. I don't know if they just swapped cars or... <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure what was going on there, but uh, Dave was 23rd quickest and 24th quickest was Joe Hawksby in the deuce, making it uh, through qualifying. 25th quick was Shirey in the 49, 26th quick Dave Samard in the 77, Scotty Martell was 27th in the 14, 28th quick that year was, uh, I don't see a number 28 next to a car here. Um, somebody was 28th quickest. Um, maybe that was it. Maybe they just took 27 because I don't see a 29 or a 30. So it looks like, uh, looks like they may have taken, um, even may have, may have factored in a couple of, uh, the guaranteed starters into that, uh, into that list to get to 27 cars listed, um, here as the, as the, uh, time trialers in 1995. But, uh, again, Willie Stutzman still racing in that time. Great, uh, great legend from way back. Some classic uh, stories about Willie. Just a great guy. Dave Mazzoni was racing at that point. Justin Belfiore was uh, w- was with us that weekend. Doug Sonier was driving, uh, I think, the Lichty 84, perhaps, that weekend. Um, Gary Sorrell still racing. Randy Ritzkis was in the 11 car, which I think would have... I think that would have been, again, I'm guessing here, but uh, I think that might have been the Crusetti um, car at that time. Uh, Kenny Bell in the 09, Doug Boisvert, um, Boisvert in the 66, Howie Lane in the 97. Um, let's see, who else we got here that we didn't call? Chip Simmons in the 64. I think that was uh, his 84 renumbered. Um, Tony Pufumi was driving the seven car, um, that year, which was, uh, that was a, the beautiful blue number seven. Um, I am going to have a brain, I'm going to have a senior moment and not be able to remember the owner's name, but, uh, uh, that car, Bobby Stelter tried to qualify it back in 93, I think, and, um, and didn't, uh, didn't make it. Um, who else we got? Mike Douglas, Denny Fisher, Tim Guru. Uh, I think Tim won the uh, won a heat race that year to make it in. Danny Hayes in the 81. Uh, Joey Payne was in the number four that year. Jerry Curran in the 99. Um, let's see. Jamie Letcher, Halla Tulip, and Shannon Groves uh, were the other ones that uh, that were there that weekend. Um, again, a really uh, eclectic group of drivers and uh, quite an all-star cast still. Uh, and then we get to the race. And long and short, um, this was, uh, to me, this this was going to always be uh, a race of the Dunnigan cars versus Muldoon and Didero. And it kind of turned out that that way um, Mike ended up winning. He pitted. 
and uh, and came back and you know finally passed Ordway in the 26th for the win. Ordway finished in second. Idero was third. Gary Albert in fourth. Uh, Jamie Moore up to fifth in the 44. Good run for him. Dave McKnight strong run for sixth. And Joya Pearly, Dave Schulick, and Billy Sharkey with a nice top ten finish. Cliff Graves, Rebel Jackson, Eddie Bellinger, Davey Hamilton in the 91. Um, why did I not see him in the time trial list here? That's interesting. Um, let's see if I can go back and identify. Yep. he. Oh, because he did not make it through time trials. I just skipped his name uh, reading the non-qualifiers there. Also, I forgot to read Scotty Lander's name. Um, Scotty in his uh, Super Modified debut that year out of the limited, now small block, Super Class. Um, but uh, at any rate, Davey Hamilton uh, in the 91, that was the Joya backup car. Finished in 14th, Douglas 15th, Landers 16th, Dave Samard 17th, then it was Bentley in 18th. He did not, that they, they just couldn't find the setup for him. Um, you know, it again, the cars were changing what it took to be successful in a Muldoon car in terms of the way they naturally wanted to be driven by the way it was set up. It was not compatible with Bentley's driving style. Doesn't make it a bad car or a good car. Bentley a bad driver, a good driver. Just it, it took a different uh, approach. And they could just never quite find it um, for Bentley that year. Finished 18th, Morton 19th, Moriarty 20th, and Gibson, Ritzkis, Hawksby, West Stoll, Wood, Sewell, Page, Letcher, enabled through 30, then Gozik, Garou, Shirey, and Martell. Um, and Scotty Landers, rookie of the race that year with his 16th place finish. Um, again, Muldoon, Muldoon was one who always preferred to reset the stagger and and wanted to, to pit um, and use that strategy well. His team always was good at that and uh, used it again that year to uh, to pass Ordway and and end up uh, winning the race. So Mike Muldoon finally getting his first International Classic win in the year 1995. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our Classic Rewind. Okay, let's take a deep breath here. <sighs> And come back to current time because uh, I want to <laughs> I want to go ahead and here's how we're going to do this we're going to talk about star a little bit we're going to talk more fully about star on next week's show because uh, again I want to uh, we're working on I'm going to work on trying to get John McKennedy um, I did not my schedule this week because of some last minute projects that kind of got thrown my way that I deadlines um, I just did not have a chance to try and connect with John to talk to him about his Star Classic win for this week's show. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm basically the biggest part of the reason we're not recording this until today, which is Sunday, um, the 27th of September. Uh, so we'll, again, we'll come back and, and, and talk to John in more detail on next week's show, hopefully, about uh, this show or about uh, the Star Classic win, but we do have interviews with the top three, post-race podium interviews with the top three that Camden got us. And here's how we're going to do this. Um, we're going to go from first place to second place to third place. Bam, 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 one after the other. 
and of course, McKennedy will lead it off, and then we're going to hear from uh, Jeff Abold in second. And it, this was really a, a, a good race, honestly, uh, to watch. And and I want to thank uh, Tim DePew and and Tom Salvador, a couple of. Uh, uh, longtime fans, and, and uh, I don't know that I've ever met Tim in person, to be honest, but uh, have certainly talked to him enough online. The beauty of modern technology, you can uh, you can become good friends without ever <laughs> seeing each other. Um, and, uh, of course, Tom and I are old friends and, and uh, old people at this point. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank them for the effort they put into um, – I know – how it is to be at a racetrack and hit the button to go live and you, you're trying to hold your hand steady and trying to kind of shout over the cars to keep everybody updated on what's going on and 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 all of that um so i want to thank those guys for doing that for us i just happened to find tim's feed first and so i was uh, watching his and it was a nice race to watch Otto sitterly really did a nice job early and then kind of faded a bit uh but um you know, it was uh, that nobody had anything from a Kennedy. Uh, it was just obvious that John, he he worked traffic uh, with perfection, just drove a flawless race to get the win. Um, so we'll do a short feature interview with him next week. But again, here's the top three. We're going to do them back to back to back. And then we're going straight to a break. And then on the other side of the break, when we come back, uh, we'll have more of Inside Groove. So don't be surprised when you don't hear me talk for the rest of this segment. You're going to hear three uh, interviews and then going straight to commercial. And I'll be back on the other side with more of Inside Groove right after you hear the interviews. So here we go with winner, John McKennedy. Been doing the work from this time. My sponsors, um, Middlesex and Terriers, Christopher Stallman. Um, you know, right in the center of the corner, right where I need the car to cut. But, uh, 
No, I can't thank Clyde Booth and all the guys enough. Um, we came here with a whole different package. Clyde told me, you know, flat boots. So we're not point racing. So we're going to go to. So we're going to throw something at it we've never tried before. And, uh, you know, all in all, I think, you know, for a long distance race, it was good. We just uh, did a little bit more. All right. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math and science person. No problem and no excuses because it's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You could start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. You've seen the paintings. The Thanksgiving turkey being served at grandma's. The weathered farmer sending his baby-faced son off to college. Now be sure and write. The wise police officer sitting at the soda bar, talking a young boy out of running away from home. Where are you going? Norman Rockwell didn't create the best in us. He just inspired the best. Inspiration. Pass it on. From the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we wrap this thing up for a, another episode. I uh, want to first, obviously, get to our game of numbers here that we like to play um, for the number 61 this week. And, of course, uh, we've been mentioning the late Richie Evans' name for uh, the entire duration of this show. And I made the point in the last segment that although... Um, We've had some significant accomplishments uh, with regards to number 61 in the super modified division. You had, uh, of course, uh, Doug Haveron with a 61 junior for Mike Mazur in 1987, won a couple of features and ran really well. And Bentley Warren then took it over and had a period of about uh, five or six years or so. Um, think that's I think that's right four or five six years somewhere several years anyway uh, before he went over to Paul Dunnigan um, and uh, of course Bentley won classics and championships for Mazer so I guess on the super modified side you'd have to say Bentley Warren uh, for the 61 number was certainly that did that number proud um, I mentioned in the last segment that Richie Evans had never driven a 61 in the super modified division, but someone else did. Um, and I think I specified orange 61 as in, uh, an Evans orange 61. Richie did run, uh, a couple of super modified races at Oswego, but they were for skip Matzek in the, uh, the number three car. And, uh, of course, Richie, uh, one of the, to me, one of the greatest drives in the history of the Speedway was the heat race that he ran in 1995. And I think it might have been, uh, no, it wouldn't have been 95. That's not correct. Um, 85. Uh, would have been Port City, I think, weekend. Um, he got in that car, went out for his heat, and it's on YouTube uh, if y'all want to research it, uh, it is it is just one of the most brilliant moves, moments in Speedway history. Eddie Ballinger and Mike Muldoon were coming down to the wire battling for the win in that heat race. And Richie Evans literally on the last lap drove 
went to the top of the racetrack, three wide on top, and beat them both to the finish line to win that heat. It was just incredible. Uh, I remember, I remember watching it live as if it were <laughs> yesterday. I mean, uh, even thinking of it now, it just takes my breath away because I remember that's exactly the. It was like. <gasps> Wow. Like, did I really just see that incredible drive by Richie Evans? What a shoe he was. Um, and I could tell Richie Evans stories all day long. And um, I know this is not a modified show, but uh, maybe sometime we'll do that because obviously he did uh, spend some time in the division. And, and to complete the Richie tribute here back in uh, 1977, Richie bought out the Rainer Town operation that um, Ronnie Wallace had driven for in 75 and 76 and won the track championship with in 75. Uh, Richie and his car owner at that, or his big sponsor at that time, Gene DeWitt, and I think Quirky Stockton was involved in it too, uh, bought the operation out, bought uh, the car that Ronnie was driving. There was another chassis, I think, that was involved in that in, in that deal, supposedly, um, that was going to be relatively a twin to the one that had been competing, but it had never gotten finished. I'm not sure whatever became of that or what, even if that was ever actually a thing, but supposedly there were one and a half Supers. Uh, and then they had uh, the Modified that they had bought a couple of years earlier, it was the old Jim Champagne Coupe modified that Jim had bought from Bud Schilling. And Ronnie drove it in, um, gosh, was it 74 or 75 in the modified 200? It might have been, I guess it would have been 75, yeah. Uh, 75 modified 200 and uh, caught fire in the pits when uh, I think they had a, something to do with, um, it was an oil fire, I think. Um, but they were changing a tire, and, and I don't know if uh, it might have, it could have been a brake drum fire, or whatever. But uh, it was a it was bad. I remember my mother took me to that particular modified 200. She always liked the modifieds, and uh, and, uh, and 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 that was it. Kind of happened in the pits, and you know, right directly in in our front view of where we were sitting in the stands. Um, and I remember Ronnie kind of hanging out of the car. Um, you know, they, they pulled him out eventually. Um, and, uh, gosh, it was, that was kind of a nasty fire, but then, um, they put a gremlin body on it. And I love the old gremlin modified bodies. I'm very partial. I was very partial to those back in, in that day. Um, put a gremlin body on it. Ronnie ran it for, uh, another year in 76 around big shows with it. And then Bentley Warren, Dave Snyder bought it for Bentley Warren. And Bentley ran it for a couple of years um, and actually had some pretty good runs with it. He was running second behind Evans in a Port City race. I think, um, gosh, it would have been 78 probably. I'm Again, I'm relatively guessing here, but I think it was, uh, I think it was either 77 or 78. Well, it would have been 78, I guess, because, uh, yeah, I guess it would have been because uh, the uh, transition to from Rainer Town to uh, Richie Evans when when Richie and his group bought out all of that equipment wasn't until 77. So I'm guessing it was probably 78, but either one. It was one of those two port cities. Um, and Bentley had some pretty good runs with that car 
despite its uh, age and, uh, of course, the cars were getting lower and lighter. That car was kind of a a, a heavy, I don't want to call it a dinosaur because um, it was still fast, but uh, it was fun to watch Bentley run that for a little while. But anyways, uh, Richie bought, they bought it out. Richie ran the car at Star, uh, and I think that was the only time that Richie actually ran that Ronnie Wallace-driven, former Ronnie Wallace-driven Super as the Orange 61 was at Star Speedway, I think, um, in a in a super-slash-modified doubleheader. Uh, I think it was July 4th weekend that year in 77. And, of course, there was all kinds of talk about uh, Richie running the Classic that year. That did not happen. Um, Jimmy Winks warmed the car up, but... Um, did not uh, compete with it. Uh, Richie did not drive it either. Um, I guess they had had some problems. And, and, and again, sub-story within the story, during that season, Bill Wright, who was the longtime partner crew chief for Nolan Swift, he and Nolan parted company in 1977. Now, they had built a brand-new car in '76. And just had all kinds of problems with it. And for 77, Swifty started the year with a win at Fulton, what turned out to be the final feature win of his career. Picked up a win at Fulton, 100-lap feature in the spring of 77. Came to Oswego, still weren't uh, running very well without the wing. The car just wasn't getting any bite. Uh, They couldn't, just couldn't figure it out. I think they swapped from... uh, independent front suspension to torsion um, that year uh, or to uh, solid axle that year. Uh, and uh, trying to remember exactly when during the year it happened, but Bill Wright and Swift parted company. And Bill Wright, I guess, was go- going to go to work for Richie Evans and help him with the Super. And, and again, I think uh, there was one race at Star that Richie ran. They brought it to Oswego for Classic Weekend. Jimmy Winks warmed it up. Um, you know, they, they decided not to campaign the car. And that all led eventually to Ronnie Wallace reuniting with that car. And I think this would have been 1979 because Ronnie drove for Jim Ferlito in 78. So I think it was 1979. Ronnie didn't have anything else going and wanted to make sure he had a car for the classics. So he bought back the car from Richie. And the first week that Ronnie had it, he campaigned it as the Orange 61. And then, of course, had a beautiful paint job with a brilliant green and white and just several colors on it uh, after that. They repainted it. But for one week, Ronnie Wallace drove a Richie Evans tribute car, though it wasn't meant to be such at the time, but uh, it was the Orange 61, looked just like one of Richie's cars. Uh, And uh, Ronnie drove it at Oswego, did pretty well with it too that first week. And I think the second week, I think he actually had a top five finish. I think he finished fifth, second week out with it. Uh, and, um, you know, that, uh, that car kind of stayed in competition in limited form, um, through, I want to say 81, maybe, or even 82, because I do believe that Ronnie Wallace brought it back 
in either I think one I want to say eighty one maybe, um, and I and I'm not a hundred percent positive, but I almost think the last driver to drive it was Ronnie Madison for a classic attempt, and I I think the last time that Ronnie Wallace and the only time that Ronnie Madison attempted, um, I don't think either time in the early 80s it made the classic. I don't think either of those two times. But uh, but uh, Ronnie certainly, um, man, he just, uh, it was it was cool to see him running the Evans colors, even if only for a week. So uh, that's kind of your brief little history on the 61 as a super. Uh, there were been a couple of others. Uh, again, the Mazer car with uh, Bentley and, and Doug Haveron aboard. Um, Bobby Stelter campaigned a 61 car back in, I think, maybe the early 80s, perhaps. Um, as an, It was an upright-type car. Uh, and uh, he and, I want to say the guy's name was Ron Ryan, built the car. And I think Richie kind of offered some advice or whatever and they ran Richie's number um 61 on the car incidentally Bobby actually raced for Richie Evans in a modified event at Oswego at one point and um I think he was in the top 10 with the car and I want to say that maybe at the very end like the last lap or two he he got into a scrape might have spun the car or gotten into a multi-car deal or whatever but nothing severe but um but I do remember him racing. Him and Richie were good friends, uh, and and it's it's no wonder because um, both of them, ne- neither of them ever uh, passed, uh, you know, the, uh, passed on a good party. Let's put it that way. <laughs> they were both really fun guys, uh, and both could obviously drive the wheels off a car. So uh, other sixty ones in the supers, I don't really recall. Um, there's probably been a couple, but again, I don't, when it comes to these, the game of numbers, I don't ever research. I don't go back and look through programs or anything like that. This is strictly in the moment off the top of my head. And, uh, I just don't recall at the moment at Oswego, any other supers, there were, uh, Justin Shea ran a 61 in the limited division for, uh, a year or two. He started in the 27 and eventually they just changed the number to 61, um, which I think also was kind of an act of, of Richie tribute back then. Um, Justin's father, Bill, had grown up uh, in in the Oneida area, going to Utica, Rome, and uh, obviously is a, a sense of, of uh, uh, you know, history there for him. And, and, of course, the track was pavement back then, and then eventually it become dirt. And uh, so... I think that was uh, a tribute situation as well um, when Justin changed the number midway through and for the final uh, couple, three years, I think, of his uh, limited supermodified racing career with the uh, 61 car. And I don't know if there's been anyone else since um, in the limited division. So uh, there's a start. So I guess uh, all you guys that want to see, I, for me, it's just the exercise of being able to do it off the top of my head. I don't, 
Um, I, I know some others uh, will go back through programs and cheat. And whatever, but <laughs> to me, it's cheating, but that's fine. Um, you know, we want to create a complete historical record, if we can, each week of the numbers. So that's okay. Um, but no, uh, so all you guys that are history buffs, um, feel free to add to that list. But uh, I come up with basically a couple in the Supers, and that's it. Um, Ronnie Wallace. And, and again, just racing-wise, um, Ronnie Wallace and Bentley and Doug were the big three that I remember, and Bobby Stelter, and then, um, of course, uh, uh, Justin Shea in the Limited Supers and Richie in the Modifieds. And um, again, I still consider it, even at Oswego, I know it's a super track, but to me, um, when it comes to the 61 at Oswego, it's Richie Evans' number. So this was the Richie Evans show. Um, and with that, uh, one more quick note to mention here. Those of you who are listening to this show, over the next couple of months here, um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, probably the next month actually, I'm going to put out, uh, I want to put out a couple of surveys because I, I want to, this, this show has always, from the start, I, I've, I've, I've wanted to keep it fast and loose as far as the format and the timing, total time each week of the show. Some weeks, obviously, it's been much longer. Some weeks, it's short and sweet. Um, this one going to go down probably somewhere in the hour and a half range, for example. Um, it's... Um, and so my first survey question that I'm going to put out to you guys here, and, and feel free to just add it in the comments, um, is what what is, would you like to see the show continue going forward in the same kind of, you know, fast and loose format? In other words, you know, do you, do you, do you care that it's, much longer some weeks than others. Do you want it? Because I, to me, that what's always driven that is the fact that I don't cut off interviews. I don't cut off sections. I don't. We we sort of address what we're doing until it's done, and then we go on to the next thing, and then the next thing, and then whatever that makes the show in terms of length. That's what it is. Um, I want to know if you guys want the show to stay as what we'll call an open format show or is there a particular length that you'd like to see us shoot for in the shows um we my particular brand or or you know situation is sort of evolving at this point i'm doing five shows a week i want to keep doing five shows a week um the the three live shows obviously that we do that are radio focused are going to continue that they have the two podcasts this one and the mainly modifieds now the mainly modified podcast has been parked just for um the last few weeks because it's kind of transitioning um from a northern focus to a southern focus because of the smart modified tour returning and yours truly is working with the smart modified tour for next season and actually right now so we're going to kind of focus it on Southern Modifieds and then talk about Northern Modifieds as sort of an addendum to it. It's going to cover both, but um, we're we're going to transition it to a Southern focus. 
um, because this tour down here is poised for some tremendous growth for next year. Um, I, I think it's going to shock some people, quite honestly, and not because of things I'm doing, but just to say that there are things going on that I think this is, I think uh, Modifieds of the South are going to be uh, rocking and rolling in 2021. Um, and so we're going to make that into a, into a it, it's called mainly Modifieds, I can probably more accurately change it next year to mostly modifies because that's what we're going to cover, you know, south and north. But obviously I'm here in the south, and it's just easier to kind of start with that focus and add whatever we can get out of the north. Um, Kyle Susan's been co-hosting it with me. His uh, situation's changed, so he does not have the time to do that at this point. So we're going to uh, – it'll be a solo effort, at least for the moment, on my part – and so that will that will return here next week because uh, we've got two more races in the Southern Modified uh, world here before we're done. Two more in October. So, um, but I it, all that is to say that I'm looking at what do I need to do for 2021, and I want to I want to make sure that I'm getting the biggest audience and and the most sort of um, audience-friendly presentation of this show, um, I will tell you that we are going to start making the the Inside Groove Live format a more regular format in 2021. We've been sort of experimenting this year. It's not going to be Facebook, though. We're going to do it on YouTube. And the reason I'm going to do that is because um, there are more... There, there are a number of people that have spoken to me that have said, we like to watch these, but we're, we don't have Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. And so um, I'm going to either simulcast them or I'm going to focus it on YouTube and then maybe, you know, put the link over to Facebook later. But um, we wanted, again, we want the most people. Uh, and so we're we're gonna. I can tell you, I will be doing more with YouTube next year as a as a video format. Um, so that's coming, and then that'll kind of open us up a little bit to be able to um, to do more of these live shows. And um, it may become a situation if the live show starts building an audience. I am completely open to having a weekly live show. Now, the complication here is that in order to have a driver guest, for example, they either have to be able to do video or I have to pre-record it and then put a picture up of the driver while you're listening to their their audio in the context of watching the live video, live show. So... I'm open to a live video presentation for this for next year. Um, but again, um, I want some feedback here. What what do people want? What would you guys, because there's no point in me doing um, live video as a weekly format for this show if I'm not going to get a good audience for it. Now, we've, we've done pretty well the first couple, um, you know, so... <sighs> you know, again, I want to make sure that we're doing what has the most impact so we can always rip the audio from that video and still put out the audio file for those who want to hear that 
But um, so there's I'm I'm kind of looking ahead here and just telling all of you that I am completely open to, you know, to that option or, you know, we can just do more frequent live videos or whatever. But um, that's that's a format that I'm I'm working on. I'm an old dog, so I'm having to learn the new trick. And, you know, there's there's issues of logistics and setup and background and that kind of thing. So I'm working on all of that. That's why I'm saying, you know, we'll do probably one more in October uh, and then that'll be the last live one for this year. Um, But uh, we'll we'll do um, I want to start 21 and have a kind of a little better live presentation for uh, because I'm going to do some other things with the live video for next year as well. Um, so y'all get to look at my ugly mug and not just hear my voice. So, (laughs) um, feedback is fine. Holler, but don't hit. Um, but let me know what you think. Um, you know, what would you like to see? And, uh, and we'll do that. It's, uh, it can be tricky doing a live video presentation. Um, it, you know, especially if I'm trying to do it and produce it while I'm hosting it. Um, there's a lot of elements, a lot of things that, that you have to do. So that's why I've really taken my time with that and, uh, you know, want it to look as, as professional as it can, but, uh, I've gotten some great feedback from the first couple that we've done. Um, and people have asked for guests on the live format and that's kind of the difficulty is getting, you know, people to have a camera you know, webcam and and understand how to, you know, click on this link and that puts you into my green room, so to speak, and I just bring you on to the live video format um, and and people can see you during the show when I want you. Um, You know, there's some education and some considerations there. So, um, you know, would you you be amenable to, you know, all right, we'll pre-record the interview just like we do for the typical audio show and then you get to just stare at a picture of them for... But then you're looking at a picture of them for an hour. Um, so uh, do we do shorter feature interviews? How does that all work? Maybe we do the long feature interviews as audio files only and just release them as audio shows. And maybe we do the, you know, the live video for some current stuff and that kind of thing. I mean, I'm, again, I'm open um, to, to anything that's going to get us the biggest audience. I want all of you guys to enjoy this show um, we need, obviously, I want to make sure that we, we have consistency in the numbers and, and that you're all sharing it and liking and commenting. Cause that's the key, obviously the success on social media here. Um, so engage with, with the, with the show, with the file, with me, please. And like I said, like comment, share, um, each show and just, uh, give me some feedback, what you'd like to see, uh, for 2021 with regard to inside groove. Um, and that's it. Uh, we're done. Like I said, I think we're probably slightly over an hour and a half now because I talked too long, but that's not unusual. Uh, I hope you guys all have a great weekend and a great week coming up. Um, I've got feature guests lined up for, I think, the next four shows already. Um, and we're going to have some fun. So we're we're going to keep with the classic theme till we catch up. So we'll rewind, and uh, I guess we'll do 2000, then 2005, then 2010, then 2015. So we've got uh, four more of those classic rewinds yet to do um, on the next four shows. 
but um, we're going to get back to some feature interviews as well. We're looking at John McKennedy for next week, if I can get some time with him. Um, and uh, Cam and I will talk in more detail about the race from Star. We'll uh, keep talking about Thompson upcoming. And uh, also, speaking of Thompson's, Tyler Thompson, if you're listening to this show, please get well soon. And, uh, you know, maybe let's let's keep your transportation to four wheels, okay? <laughs> we want to keep you safe so you don't miss any more race time. Um, but uh, we, we sure hope that uh, Tyler's coming along. Um, that's it. We're done. Thanks to my sponsors. Uh, we have some of the, the coolest people that are involved with this and behind the show. Jeff West from uh, IPC Indy. That's IndyPerformanceComposites.com. Um, uh, go, go look them up. And uh, IPCIndy.com is actually his website, Indy Performance Composites. Look them up uh, and, and thank him and his staff for being a part of this show. Also, of course, uh, Rich Worth, JNS Paving, and man, what a cool, de- cool deal the uh, clam bake was that um, was put on at Star Speedway by Skip's Fish Fry, Sean Cathcart, and his group uh, going out of their way to take care of the super modified racers. Um, so, want to uh, also acknowledge uh, those folks for being a part of this show. Uh, and also congratulations to Dave Hilowell on his championship in the 350 division at Star Speedway. Um, Camden sent me the results, um, and uh, we're going to talk more about that next week. And if someone um, has a contact, uh, I would like to have Dave on the program. We'll do an interview with him and get him on next week as well. So, uh, again, let me know. Maybe someone from Stars 350 Division listening to this uh, or someone can help me with that connection, but I uh, would love to talk to him and about uh, the championship and such and 350 Super Racing in general. Okay, now I'm really done, I promise. Have a great week, everybody. Be safe, and uh, we'll talk to you next week for episode 62 of inside groove until then i'm tom baker thanks for enjoying the show thanks for all the positivity and uh look forward to next week's show see ya you've been listening to inside groove powered by ipc indy creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive aerospace and communications industries find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com inside groove is a race chaser media production For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.